0: Uh, Luke chapter 14 Luke chapter 14 verses 16 through 24 Uh, We'll be reading there in just a moment Uh, There's a pastor who told this story. It's a true story of one of his church members who was a lawyer and after uh, Studying and meditating on several scriptures. He decided to cancel the debts of all of his clients that had owed him money for more than six months so he drafted a letter explaining his decision and its Biblical basis, and sent 17 debt-canceling letters via certified mail." Certified mail means you have to sign for it to accept it. So one by one, the letters that he mailed out began to return to him, unsigned and undelivered. Perhaps a couple had moved away, though he thought that probably wasn't likely. 16 of the 17 letters that he mailed out came back to him because the clients refused to sign for and open the envelopes. This was likely because they were fearing that the certified mail was actually because the attorney was suing them for their debts rather than forgiving them of their debts. Similarly enough, we have all received an invitation from God to live forgiven of our spiritual debts in all eternity with Him. But the question is, will we see His plans for our lives, His deliverance for us as a hindrance to what we truly want to accomplish ourselves, to our own will, with our own lives, and continue living condemned and in debt, just as these people did? Or will we entrust our lives to Him, and accept his invitation to eternal life so let's look at our text this morning Luke chapter 14 verses 16 through 24 a common parable told by Jesus and he says a man once gave a great banquet and invited many and at the time for the banquet uh, and at the time for the banquet he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited come for everything is now ready But they all alike began to make excuses, and the first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out to see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets, the lanes of the city, and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges, and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. This morning I want to preach a sermon I've entitled, The Invitation. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for uh, meeting with us in this place this morning, God, for uh, joining us, God, in the midst of us, Father. We ask, Lord, that your spirit, God, would go out into the hearts and minds of us here this morning, Father, that you would minister to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So first I want to talk about what the invitation is. So Jesus, um, as many of us know, often spoke in parables. And if you're not sure what a parable is, the definition of a parable is a story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson, uh, oftentimes referring to Jesus Christ who told the parables. So our text today is a parable itself, and to understand a parable, we must know what, what the symbolism is within the parable. So the basic symbolism of it is the man who's hosting the banquet is God himself. And the great banquet is, is resembling eternal life or salvation for mankind. And we'll get into more symbolism as the sermon progresses, but those are the basics for understanding it. And so the invitation is for all to come into this banquet or for the sake of, under, of clarity of eternal life and salvation. And the Bible is very clear that we are all invited to receive salvation. God desires that all people be saved. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3-6, through 6, which says, uh, It is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given, at a proper time. This text says that God desires for all people to be saved and also says that Christ gave His, himself as a ransom for all. By show of hands, who qualifies as all? All of us, right? That's a very simple word to understand. Um, All means all, all of us, everyone in this place, everyone driving past this place, everybody nearby and everybody around the world, all people are included in all. And this is one of many scriptures in the Bible that state very clearly that salvation is available to everyone alike. So the question is, if Jesus died for everyone, why isn't everyone saved? You see, the answer to that is actually quite simple. People tend to make it overly complicated. But it's really not difficult. The reason why everyone is not saved, even though Jesus died for everyone, is because everyone must make a choice. You see, God gave us free will, the, the, the ability to choose what we will do with our lives. And he gave us free will from the very beginning, Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 through 17, as God is establishing uh, the earth and all the inhabitants and mankind. And he says in verse 16, The Lord commanded the man, saying, You surely uh, may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. God is telling him the do's and don'ts, and there would be no need for do's and don'ts if Adam could only do what God said he could do, physically. If he was not capable of disobedience, if he was not capable of deciding in his own mind what he will do. You see, God gave Adam and Eve a free will, and each and every one of us have that as well. You see, God desires to have a genuine relationship with us. And how many know there's nothing genuine about a relationship if it's forced upon you? God desires for us to have a genuine relationship with Him, to choose Him as He has already chosen us. It's an invitation, and He wants us to choose to come to Him. The question is, what will we choose? And we see in our text uh, various different people making excuses as to why they can't come to the banquet. Let's look in verses uh, 16 through 20 from our text, uh, saying that a man, uh, Jesus telling the parable, "A a man gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out to see it. Please have me excused. The other said I have bought 5 yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And the other said I have married a wife, therefore I cannot come. You see at this, at some point in our lives each and every one of us will receive the invitation. Some more obvious, some more subtle, but nonetheless, God presses His presence upon every man. At some point, they receive an invitation to respond to the Spirit of God. And so we see in our text, these people get their invitation to the greatest event in history, which is eternal life in heaven. And so we see their responses. The first man says, I have bought a field, and I must go out to see it. Please have me excused. And to me, the imagery of this is kind of uh, funny to imagine. I imagine him, I, I bought a field, I go out to see it, and he just walks out to this field and goes, yep, there it is. I missed the banquet for this. But the symbolism there is that he has material items. He has possessions. He has things in his life that, that he owns that have become an idol. The, the symbolism is worldly riches becoming more important than the will of God. The second man says, I bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And this symbolizes for us uh, a success in careers becoming an idol. And the reason for that is to understand the context of Bible times. You see, having oxen meant that you had provision. You had a business. You had success. Oxen was like the equivalent to owning heavy machinery today you had something that not everybody has. Whether you used the oxen to plow your own field or you rented them out, nonetheless, you were a businessman. You had revenue. You had income. You had success. And so for him to say, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go out to examine them, please have me excused. In other words, he's telling God, listen, my career, my advancement, my business, the things I have going on are more important than what you are calling me to do. And then the third man just simply says, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. This one to me means two things. One of them is having a, he's telling him, I have a family that I love, but they have become an idol over your calling. Or the second one is, I've married my second mom and she says, I can't come out to play. It's interesting because the wording is different. They say the first two say, please have me excused. And the third one says, I've married a wife, therefore I can't come. <laughs> she said, nope. <laughs> we all know marriages like that. I, I, had a, I remember inviting a friend out some years ago uh, to, to go do something. He goes, Yeah, let me check with my mom. I mean, my wife. And it was a genuine, honest slip of the tongue. And I thought, wow, Freud might be onto something. <laughs> But nonetheless, some way or some other, some way or another, he has a god other than God in his life. Whether it's idolizing his family and loving them or his wife is is running running the show and she said, "Nope." Nonetheless, he had an excuse as to why he could not come to the banquet. So the question is this morning is what is our excuse if we have one? You know, the interesting thing about the excuses that these people make is all of these things, all of the reasons why they can't turn to to God and to come to the banquet are not sinful things. Except maybe the second mom one. But the the other ones are legitimate things in life. We all have relationships. We all have jobs or careers. We all have possessions. And there's nothing sinful about having those things. There's nothing wrong with having possessions, with having a career, with having a family that you love. You see, the truth is, church, the most compelling reasons that people have to reject Christ's calling are usually for noble causes, for good things, for worthy issues. There are lots of important things in life. Jobs, education, relationships, finances, the list could go on things that are not sinful but are important in our life but the issue is that if we allow these things to become so important that we reject Christ in exchange then we have condemned ourselves by our actions John chapter 3 verses 16 through 18 John 3:16 everybody knows that one but seldomly do we talk about 17 and 18 for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. And verse 18 says, Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And to look at this text, the word believe can mean lots of different things to us in the English language. But what does this word believe really mean? If you've been coming to this church for a while, you've probably heard me explain this a few times because the definition of this word in the Greek is very important for us to understand what believing in Christ truly means. The word in Greek is a word, uh, "pistuo," which means to believe and have faith in and trust in Christ. Or in the past tense, to have entrusted with. This is more than simply saying, I believe something is true, but rather having the actions to follow up that belief. It's like, hey man, uh, meet me at at Dairy Queen for lunch and I'll buy you lunch. You say, you know what, I believe you that you'll buy me lunch, but you don't show up. You have not put any trust into my word. Of course, the trust that we have in God is far greater than a free meal. It's, It's eternity. It's an eternal banquet. You see, this entrusting ourselves is entrusting our lives and all that we have to Christ. Trusting that He will guide us in these directions. Trusting that He will make provisions that are necessary for us to live the life He's called us to. So our possessions, our careers and educations, our families, and all of us that we who we are are entrusted unto Him. You see, this is the issue that the the symbolism of this parable shows us is that these men have these things in their lives that they're using as an excuse as to why they can't answer the call to God. And I think it illustrates the issues in our lives very clearly as a banquet in the story is usually like a one night thing, maybe two or three days. Listen, bro, that field you bought is still going to be there in a couple days. Hey man, those oxen you have, you know, have somebody feed them for a couple days, scoop the poop and and clean out the hay, and it'll be all right. They'll be there in a couple days. Hey man, your family, bring them along. All are invited. You see, this illustrates it well because the calling of God in our lives does not mean we have to abandon our career. It doesn't mean we have to abandon our families. It doesn't mean we have to abandon our possessions. Yes, God may call you to change some things around, and that's between you and Him, but ultimately we live a life full of possessions, relationships, and jobs, and careers, and all of these things. And the question is, can we accept God's invitation to live a life for Him and not allow these things to get in the way? See, the issue isn't having these things. The issue is placing them above God. If we do not believe, if we do not entrust our life to Christ, that we can take these things and place them below the calling of God, then we are rejecting His invitation. And at the end of our text in verse 24, Jesus says, For I tell you, none of these men who were invited shall taste my banquet. None of these men who are invited shall taste. They had too many things to worry about. The call of God was not important enough for them to change the order of their life. And now they will not taste my ba- This isn't just a good dinner. This isn't like a filet mignon with some baked potatoes and some roasted veggies on the side with a delicious dessert and all. This isn't just a good meal. This is eternal, eternal life. That's the symbolism here. This is what we're trying to understand, is that this is so much more than just a feast in the evening. This is taking the worries of the world and setting them aside and putting Christ at the helm. We cannot let the things of this world keep us from eternal life. Rather, on the other side, we must realize our brokenness and accept His invitation to eternal life. You see, we read our text and it's an interesting crowd that ends up at the banquet, right? He, he goes out and, and he invites all these people. That obviously, they seem like people who have their lives together, right? They got careers, they got the, the the possessions, they've got families, all of these things. But then what ends up happening is an interesting crowd shows up to the banquet. Verses 21 through 23, which says, So the servant came and reported these things to the master. And then the master of the house came Uh, became angry and said to his servant, Go quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled, the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. He commands his servant says, Bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. It's as if the master's saying, okay, even though those who are considered high and lofty, considered to have their lives put together, considered to have things figured out, even though they're making excuses, the party's going to go on. Heaven is still going to be open. The gates are still going to be available for people to come in. You see, the reality is for us is that Jesus is not concerned about your social status. He's concerned about your faithfulness to him. He's concerned about how you view him and his calling. And there's symbolism here, talking about the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. This resembles people who come broken, who come humbly to Christ. They realize the privileged opportunity before them because of their brokenness. Isaiah 61 verse 1, a prophecy speaking of Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of prison to those who are bound. So who is that? The poor, the brokenhearted, the captives, the bound. These people are all who realize that no matter how good their life may be, that what God has within His will is better. That no matter what our life has for us, we realize something, that it's nothing compared to eternal life with Christ. They are all who realize that they are sinners and in desperate need of healing. They are all who can look at the pleasures of this world and put them to the side to be with Christ. Every person who comes to Christ comes in a different status comes in a different situation some in the eyes of man more broken than others more put together than others but ultimately these people resemble you and me they are everyone they are all of us but the question is is do we realize it Mark chapter 2 verse 17 Jesus said those who are uh, who are well have no need for a physician but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous but the sinners. Jesus is saying he came not to call the righteous but the sinners. What does that mean? You see Jesus in this text he's dealing with the Pharisees and the scribes who viewed themselves as righteous. They were high and lofty in their own minds. They had it all put together and figured out in the way that they saw themselves and Jesus is saying this is about a heart issue. If you think you're good Already, you will reject my invitation. If you think you're righteous, if you think you're okay, if you think the things you have in life are good enough, then you will ultimately reject my invitation. But when we realize our true situation, the status of our soul is when we turn to Him. You see, Jesus says He came to call the righteous, but the sinners. And He's talking about how these people view themselves. Because Romans 3, chapter, 10, uh, chapter 3, verses 10 through 12 says, As it is written, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands and no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Think about that. That's, the, that's kind of a harsh assessment of mankind. <laughs> no one is righteous, no, not one. No one does good, not even one. So the question is, who are the blind? Who are the lame, the poor, the brokenhearted, the slave? The answer is everyone. Everyone who realizes their desperate need for Christ. And this is what Christ is trying to illustrate in this parable dealing with the people, that everyone's invited. All are welcome. All are invited to the banquet. Everyone is in need of a savior, but not all will respond. You see, the people who rejected the invitation because they thought they had their life all figured out, Jesus says they will not eat of the, of, of the food. But they were invited just like the lame, the broken, the poor, the, the sick. All of us are in need of a Savior, but not all will respond because not all think that it's something that they need. But the question is, will you respond? You see, this great banquet it's not, like I said before, it's not a one night dinner. It's not, a, it's not a just a one time party, then you go home. This is resembling our eternity. What excuses are we making? What reasons do we have to, to, to reject Christ? None of them are worth missing out on eternity with Christ. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 through 28 says, And justice is appointed for man to die once. And after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear his sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. This text tells us we're guaranteed to die someday. One out of every one person dies. That's a a stat we can't run from. We will all die someday, and then this text says that we will then face judgment. We will stand before the throne of God, and we, our eternal life will be determined. There's a quote from Bob and He says, we cannot decide whether or not we live or die. We can only decide what we will die for. The life that we lived, the life that we lived out, what were we living for? Because what we live for in this life is ultimately what we will die for. And the question will be, did we put our trust in ourselves, our relationships, our possessions? Or did we entrust our lives and all of those things to Christ? Did we accept His invitation? Did we heed His voice and hear His calling? Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 puts this another way. The words of Christ says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Again, he's telling us, you have a choice. You have a decision to make. I'm standing at the door and knocking. He's not going to kick the door down. He's not going to get a battering ram and, I'm coming in whether you like it or not because I love you. (laughs) He's saying, I want to be a part of your life, but you have to want me to be a part of your life. I'm inviting you into a relationship with me and you make the choice. So we have to choose. Do we make excuses or do we accept the invitation? Let's look at Isaiah 61 verse 1 one more time. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. This is speaking of Jesus. To bring the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of prison to those who are bound. Christ came to heal your broken heart, to give you eternal riches. He came to to set you free. The question is will we accept this freedom? Will we hear His voice? Will we see His invitation? And will we turn away from the worries and the struggles and the pain of this world and live a life for Christ? Let's bow our head and close our eyes this morning.